I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped. It's a podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. Do you send your customers a regular email newsletter? If not, you probably should. An email newsletter is a great way to stay in touch with customers, improving loyalty and decreasing churn. But which email newsletter service is best for you? When I was trying to choose which service to use for Feature Upvote's monthly newsletter, I turned to Email Tool Tester. Email Tool Tester's reviews helped me find the best option for my needs. Best of all is their deliverability study. Email Tool Tester regularly tests all the major email services to find out which ones actually get your emails into your customer's inbox. You can check it out at emailtooltester.com slash deliver. That's emailtooltester.com slash deliver. Today, I'm joined by Matt Behrman, the founder of Sabre Feedback, although he's no longer the owner. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, yeah, good to, good to be here. The reason why Matt is no longer the owner is because he actually recently sold Sabre Feedback to me. So Matt, I have to say congratulations on the acquisition. Thank you very much. It's a uh, perfect timing, definitely. <laughs> How are you feeling about it? Really good. Like, I would have thought there'd be some kind of you know, maybe missing it. But at the moment, no, I'm still in that, that honeymoon phase. I might miss it eventually. But for now, at least it's all good. It's like uh, parents when their child goes to stay with Nana or something. And the immediate <laughs> feeling is like, thank goodness, we have time to ourselves. And then after a day or two, it's like, I really would like to see my child again. Maybe. Yeah, I definitely know that. <laughs> so I think many of our listeners dream of one day being able to do the same, sell their product or business and move on to something else. So let's hear the details of you got there, of how you got there to selling it. But first, let's start at the beginning. Do you want to tell us how and why you started Sabre Feedback back in 2011, I believe? Yeah, it was it was 2011, and it was when Google launched their massive flop of a social network, Google Plus. Remember because, it? Yeah, it was on a, a Hacker News thread. Someone was posting about they had this feedback button on the side of the screen. And when you clicked it, you could highlight an area of the screen and it would generate a screenshot and send it off. And everyone was saying, oh, that's amazing. I wish I could have this on my website. So I thought I'll just hack something together over a weekend, a fun little project, because there was nothing at the time that was a commercially available feedback software with screenshots. That was the, the real thing. There are a bunch of feedback tools, but none of them offered that kind of, this is what I'm actually talking about functionality. And it was just based on that. It was it's possibly one of the mistakes I made. It was never something I personally wanted. It was something I saw other people wanted and I saw an opportunity to build it. So Hacker News got you your start. Yeah, and, and in the same vein, then once I built it, like a week or so later, I just put a, a show Hacker News thread on there and that got me my first 
possibly five paying customers, which at which point I was like, this is the most success I've ever had on a project ever. This is amazing. Uh, were you working full time or did, were you working as a freelancer then? No, that was in, I had a brief gap in freelancing where I, I wanted to try working in the real world. And that was during that I was working for a, a web development agency nine to five. And this was a early morning, late evening type thing. Wow, you already taught the the MVP minimum viable product to to its extreme there. You said it took you one weekend. Yeah, and it it was like I'd literally just started learning about the whole MVP thing because previous times I tried to build stuff, I'd go all in and build the most fully featured thing before I even knew if there were any customers that wanted it. So it was kind of I saw this whole mentality of MVP that made a lot of sense. So I did take it quite to the extreme. The first version there was no control panel at all. Someone signed up on the website and the free trial was done through PayPal. I'd get an email from PayPal. I'd log manually into the database, (laughs) put their details in, send them the details manually. And if they ever wanted to make any changes, they had to email me to do it. There was no control panel, no no user admin at all. But people seemed okay with that for, I think it started at $10 a month was the basic subscription. That's that's a telling lesson there. That's uh, I think that's how everybody should start. Just do the stuff manually until you actually know you need to code it up. So then you um, said you were working full-time at the time. So how long did you keep working until you decided that Sabre was what you wanted to do full-time? It was actually, work, I think I worked another six months, but it wasn't Sabre that stopped me. It was just I got sick of working for other people and went back to freelancing because it was, well, in fact, it was 2012. I went back to freelancing and then my wife and I traveled for a bit. And that was kind of part of the reason was we wanted to do this big, long, we spent a couple of months just traveling around Europe. So I couldn't really do that with a full-time job. But yeah, it was, it was quite a lot, long time longer before I saw, before I had the ability to make Sabre my full-time thing. It, for, it was a side project for four or five years, I think, while I was freelancing. That's a long side project. Normally yeah. people switch them pretty quickly from side project to full time or don't do it at all. So people who know you might know that you blogged really, really openly about it during this time when you, I think from when you went in full time on it or is that when you started the blogging? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you were really sharing the figures every month, how many people came to the website, how many signed up for a trial, how many converted, how many churned, and even how much the revenue was that you were earning each month. What what led you to go so open? I honestly can't remember. I think it was just, I'd seen other companies doing similar kind of transparent blogs. They were more about, you know, we've had this investor money, this is how much we're getting in. I wanted to share it from a different perspective of where there was no investor money. I just saved up it was, it was a good amount of money. I think I had about £20,000 in the bank from just living really, really frugally for a good few years. But it wasn't anywhere near kind of the seed money most companies get. And I just wanted to to show that journey, see if it could be done and how it could be done. And it seemed to be something that really resonated with people. And I don't think it got me many customers, a couple definitely, but it, it was definitely something a lot of people are interested in following the story at least. It's interesting that the people who follow the story might not be the ones who became the customers, but they knew about you and maybe mentioned you to other people who they knew did have some need. It's hard to, we're always hard to tell that thing, that type of thing. So, so judging by the blog articles, Sabre for a good couple of years there, you had it growing nicely, say almost 10% per month. And then abruptly it seemed to stop growing. How did that change your motivation and enjoyment? It definitely, it was a bit of a downer because those first couple of, about a year, when I first went in full time, I sort of set myself this goal of of 10% month on month growth and just managed to keep it really consistently. 
and everything was going so well. So it was a bit of a, a blow to, to see it taper off. It didn't fully dishearten me. It just made me want to learn more about my weaknesses, particularly marketing, and, and really try and, and get to grips of that. And obviously, I didn't do very well. I, I learned a lot about marketing, but I also just really struggled to put it into action on Sabre. That was something I never fully got to grips with. Is that because you weren't actually like implementing what you learned or you were implementing and it just wasn't having the results you expected? I think it's a lot of that. Like I, one of my customers actually recommended a really good pay-per-click marketing course that he'd used to great success on his business. And I learned a great deal from that. And it's a really good course. But when I actually tried to implement it, I found that I just didn't have the budget. It was there. They're really, they seem to be quite high um, bidding keywords for the kind of whole website feedback type area. And I just didn't have the money to throw at it to see any good results. And after I think I threw a good few hundred dollars at it and saw nothing at all, I kind of, I was like, I can't keep risking this money without knowing whether or not there's going to be any return on investment. So I had to pull the plug on that. And I suspect if I'd carried on, I might have started to see results, but I didn't have the funds to just take that risk at the time. So I had to stop. I think there's something really hard for us developers. Like you're a developer by by trade, right? Yeah. SMI. And when you're coding something, you know if you got it right. Like it was supposed to say seven and it was saying eight. So you fix something, now it says seven or it calculates pi to six digits correctly. But uh, with marketing, there's no way you can really tell, right? You, mm. There's no number that comes back and says the number you're expecting. You just have to keep, like, throwing, like you say, throwing money at it. And I've, I've always found that really hard myself, and I still do. I've never really managed to get Google Ads working properly. And I also have that, like, fear of, like, that. I'm, am I just throwing money away, just making Google yeah. richer or whoever <laughs> I'm advertising with? One thing I found that was really mind-blowing, it was, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Patrick McKenzie, known as Patio11 on a lot of things. He mentioned just quite a throwaway comment in Hacker News about how there is a formula you can use to work out when a startup will stop growing. And it's because... Your growth is based on the number of you know visitors you get to the website ultimately and how they convert. But churn is based on the number of customers you already have. And those two numbers are independent of each other. And so eventually they will reach an equilibrium where the number of new customers you get is equal to the number of churn. And unless you change something, particularly in how many people are churning or how many people are subscribing, that will stay I looked back at my old data and I could actually predict with quite good accuracy that it was going to top out about this kind of four, four and a half thousand dollars a month where I'd got to. So it, it really blew my mind. I'd never made that association that you can look at your data and see, actually, I'm going to stop growing unless I change something because this is how the numbers are and they are independent of each other. Um, didn't help me fix it. But it was <laughs> interesting to see that I could have seen it coming a long time ago had I known that before. I don't think you're the first person to have found Patrick McKenzie to say something very helpful in this <laughs> in this whole world. I know Patrick quite well. He was instrumental in me starting my first desktop app back in 2008. Uh, I think a lot of people have similar stories. You said that you had to bid quite a bit on ads for, for Sabre Feedback or Bug Muncher, as it was called at the time still, I guess. So, But you also see back in 2011, there were no competitors. Does that mean that you quickly started to get competitors? Oh, this was the, the advertising was, was much, much later when it was actually Sabre. The, the initial stage where it was still Bug Muncher and was growing quickly. Well, even when I was working full-time at it, at that point, there were already a lot of competitors. It was only 
In fact, there was another company, UserSnap, that launched only a couple of months after BugMunch. So I suspect that we were both developing our products at the same time, probably on having both seen the, the Google Plus thing. But yeah, when, it, when they actually started advertising at that point, this was only a year or two ago when I really tried this, trying to figure out how to keep the growth where it had leveled off. And at that point, there were a lot of competitors. And probably more, more, money more coming along each month too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of them with serious funding who can really like outbid you. So in the middle of last year, you took a full-time job again Well, after having worked just on Sabre for a long time. And you have a small child at home. So if I understand correctly, you were working full-time, working on Sabre, and I'm sure doing your best to be a good father. How on earth did you manage to juggle all of this? Mostly I just kind of, much as I wanted to, I, I let Sabre fall very much onto the back burner. It, it, each week I put less and less time into it. And much to my surprise, it stayed very steady at that kind of $4,000 a month. I expected it to really drop off without any effort at all. So that was a little bit reassuring in that sense that it, it wasn't dying without my effort, but it certainly wasn't growing. And I was... I was letting my customer service slip a bit. And that was one of the key selling points, I think, or the things that kept people after they'd had a free trial. They were always impressed that they'd email and get a quick response from the guy who wrote all the code and and knew the answers. And they wouldn't get that from a bigger company. And I frequently got sort of compliments on that. So letting that slip, I think, was really where I started to think, okay, I'm starting to put this in danger now. That's that's almost my USP is, is my customer service. If I can't offer that, what can I offer? Okay. So as the support was slipping, you found that you weren't getting as many new customers or you just found that you you just didn't like the fact that you weren't doing that as well as you'd like to? Yeah, it was more about me not liking it and and thinking over time that is going to start to affect it. It still hadn't really affected people either cancelling or not signing up, but I figured it was only a matter of time. But it was, yeah, just it'd been dropped in my priorities to the point that I just didn't really want to work on it anymore. It became a bit of a chore rather than something I was excited to work on. So moving on, quite a lot of people who run their own who run their own business wonder what it would be like to have a boss again. They wonder if they could even get a job again and if they did, how they would cope. So you've gone down that path. Tell me, uh, how was it? What was the feeling of having a boss again to tell you what to do and when to do it and having to ask for permission for annual leave and so on? It's been it's been a, a very odd change, but it's not been as bad as I thought it would be. I think partly because the company I work for is a very good company to work for, it seems, in terms of how they treat their employees. And I, I work, it's a biggish company, but I work within a small team. The, the biggest thing you've already mentioned is having to you know ask to have time off, whereas I'm used to being able to just say, oh, the sun's out today, I'm not going to work. That was a, a really great bonus of working for yourself, whereas I can't do that so much now. I have to plan my time off and you know, I'm still expected to work nine to five, which is a weird thing as well for me. I think also I didn't, I I didn't say decide I'm going to get a job now. I was just kind of keeping an eye on things. And this one job jumped out to me as one that I thought I really would like to do. So it's the only job I applied for. If they hadn't given me the job, I probably would have just carried on with Sabre until another job jumped out at me. I wasn't full on, I'm going to get a job mode. It was more just like, if something interesting jumps out at me, I'll apply for it. Looking for the skill set you needed, or there were some other things about it that really appealed to you? It was primarily being a remote job. I, I didn't want to, even if it was somewhere local, I wouldn't want to work in office. I like working from home, but this company is like the other end of the country from me anyway. So that would have, wouldn't have worked. And also it was, you know, a Ruby development job. But then as I looked into the, the company and saw, you know, they have a lot of good benefits, a, a very nice sort of culture and good work-life balance that they encourage. 
and those kind of things all appealed to me as well and um, you know obviously the salary was a big bonus because um, <laughs> i think i mentioned in one of my blog posts it's about twice what i was able to pay myself with saber so it's it's made a huge difference in our lifestyle and being able to save up towards buying a house which was the goal we had Oh, I'm glad that's the case because if uh, you had to t- accept some of the negative sides of having a full-time job and you weren't getting paid better, it might make it hard. Yeah. Hey, when I started uh, back in 2008, my dream was to be able to go surfing in the mornings and then come home in the afternoons and work on my product. It never happened. I think I forgot that, A, I don't surf, and B, I'm not a very good swimmer. <laughs> this whole idea of just like spending all this time outdoors, like it was good in theory, but I never really did it. Uh, as it is, I still spend all my time indoors in front of the computer like I would if I had a boss. So I wanted to ask you about the, the interview process with your current job. Were they asking you about Sabre and ready fully to go from being your own boss to not being your own boss? Was that a factor in the interview? Not at all, really. I The only thing I did was, because I saw the job on Hacker News where I see everything, and all I did was, the first thing I did was I emailed the person who posted the job, who happened to be the CTO of the company, and just said, you know, I, I want to apply for this job, but I want to keep running Sabre on the side. Is that something you'd be okay with? And he said, yeah, that's fine. Quite a lot of our developers have side projects they run. That's not an issue. And that was kind of the only time it ever really came up. They, they were a lot more interested in my experience previously when I worked for another company, but that was so long ago, I struggled to remember details of it. But I, I, I felt I wasn't, a hundred, I had no idea after the interview how it was going to go because I felt the coding part of it went really well, but the more people skills part of it didn't seem to go so well because I felt, you know, I'd spent the last eight years working on my own. I don't, I don't know what it's like to work for a team anymore. It's, it's been uh-huh. so long. I think they kind of took a punt on me does not play well with others Uh, (laughs) you know i I wonder if if i worked with other programmers whether it would help me become a better programmer because i'd be exposed to new ideas and new ways of doing things and when i work for myself i just get stuck in doing the same thing day after day Uh, have you found that's improved your your skills being around other programmers again that's been one of the biggest bonuses other than you know having more people to talk to throughout the day even if it is only on slack is I've, I feel like, especially in those first kind of six months, I learned so much. And I mean, I've been doing Ruby on Rails development for eight years, maybe, but there were still little things that have been there for a long time that somehow I'd missed. And looking at other people's code and the way they did stuff, I was able to learn all these extra little things that I didn't know about, which has been a really awesome experience and one of the, the biggest benefits of working for someone else, definitely. So um, moving on, let's talk about the sale. What thoughts were going through your mind when getting acquired became more and more likely? I was always trying to keep in the back of my mind that this hasn't happened yet, that any number of reasons could mean this 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 won't go through. I didn't want to to have it as a sure thing in my head and start thinking about what I could do with the time and the money and then have that crushing disappointment if something <laughs> happened and it couldn't happen anymore. So I tried to really be realistic in that until things are signed, it's not sold. And but did you manage that, to do that? Did you manage to keep that expectation down? I think I did, yeah. Like we, because like I think I said, we, a lot of the money has gone towards a deposit on a house. And until everything was signed and 100%, we didn't start really considering more expensive houses. We carried on looking at our old budget, trying to keep that in mind. You know, occasional little sneaky looks at what was out there, but we, we really uh-huh. tried to focus on the, the lower end stuff until we knew that this was a definite thing that was happening. Okay, and then as, uh, as you actually signed the paperwork, 
Was it, did you find yourself hesitant to sign or nervous or thinking, should I change my mind at the last moment and keep Sabre? Not at all. <laughs> really not. No. <laughs> I was definitely in the position where I, I've, I've had enough of this now. It's someone else's problem. Uh, wonderful. And uh, did you celebrate? Did you go and buy a nice bottle of champagne or go and buy some ridiculously overpriced toy? Not at all. I mean, we, we, we celebrated in like we, you know, very just as you do, but not partly because it was, you know, during the whole lockdown, we couldn't really go out <laughs> to celebrate. <laughs> so it was more just kind of a, ce- a celebration without things or going anywhere. Is there one point of the whole Sabre experience that you can think of that was a very much a high point? Or maybe it even definitely a... the, the, the moment, the ultimate goal was always to, to become profitable, paying me a decent salary. And when that happened, that was, that was a, an amazing experience because it was, I didn't really notice it happening until I was kind of looking at the numbers and thought, oh, the, the money in my bank has gone up for the first time in 14 months. This, this was unexpected. And yeah, that moment, having set myself that goal to do it and having got there in, you know, within the time and money I'd allowed myself to do it in was, was definitely the highlight. And from uh, then on, it was, everything was a lot more relaxed then knowing that I'm not losing money every month anymore. I can, you know, relax a bit and, and do other things a bit more. Was that a whole, like a lot of stress dissipated at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. It was definitely a, a turning point in just the whole whole thing of it, being able to not worry so much about what's happening. And if things don't keep improving, what will I have to do? Will I have to get a job? Will I have to sell things? <laughs> Knowing that, you know, as long as nothing goes really bad, it's paying my wages and, and turning a little bit of profit. That's all you can really ask for. Yeah. And what about a low point? Any particular low point you can remember throughout the journey? Uh, it's definitely been a few. One of my favorites is when I first set up Sabre, still as a side project, I sent out an email to all of the customers. There's about 20 of them. And I accidentally put them in the normal two field instead of the BCC field, which is that rookie mistake that I think everyone makes at one point in their life. But I did that. So all of my customers got all my other customers' email addresses. Oh, dear. But I think the ultimate low point was the more recent one when I was trying the Google Ads because I really had high hopes, having had someone else recommend me this course and tell me how well it had worked for them and then gone through the course and felt like I learned so much from it and really felt like I knew how to apply it and then applying it and getting absolutely nowhere was really quite crushing. And yeah, that was that was definitely, I think, the lowest point. I don't think you're the only person that have had problems there. Hey, you said this was something called the paperclip method or the paperclip course? Paper click, as in just PPC. Oh, paper, paper yeah. click, okay. Maybe I'll, I'll get you to um, send me that course or a link to it if you have it, and I'll put it in the show notes. I'm interested to read it. Yeah, will do. But you know, this whole world changes so quickly, and it could be that the information you're reading was perfectly valid two years earlier, but by the time you were ready to do it, already the whole the whole world had changed there. Yeah, true. So what's next? Of course, you've got a full-time job now and, and a family, but I, I suspect you've been infected with the bug of creating your own products and set, making money from it. What's next on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see myself working for someone else forever. It's definitely something I do for a few years until I can launch something else, I think. I mean, next on the horizon for me is a, a long-time dream of mine, and that is to, to be 
I don't want to say a professional musician because I, I'm not. I don't know if I'd ever be able to make a living from it, but at least make some money on the side as a musician. And that's something I'm going to try and do with with some of this money is invest in learning more about music production and also using it as marketing to try and you know get the music I make out there a bit because it's something I, I tried once when I was. Uh, about 22 i think i i recorded a cd and it was awful but i still tried a bit and it didn't really get anywhere and that was it i thought well i suck at this i'm not going to try again but it's it's always been in the back of my mind of all my life i've wanted to do something with music this is probably the best chance i'm going to get now so one more attempt just see if i can you know just get a little bit of something from music and just just because i enjoy making it as well and it's something i haven't done so much recently but i've also got a few other kind of more standard tech ideas that i'd like to try as well and just things like that there's, there's always going to be something i think like you say once that's happened you've always got ideas you always want to build them even if they go nowhere mm-hmm. have you already bought a whole bunch of domain names uh no i've got a bunch of old domain names that i might try and recycle at some <laughs> point but i haven't bought anything recently that's when you know somebody's got the true nature of an yeah. entrepreneur they're already always thinking like oh, I have this idea for a product. I'm going to get the domain name now first. And then <laughs> after that, everything else is easy. But it's not. Okay, I think that pretty much covered things that I wanted to ask. Is there anything else you wanted to add to the audience about uh, the whole experience of selling Sabre? I don't really know. Like, I think it's just been, it was, it was a lot about the timing, I think, in that I wasn't, I was, I was already actively looking to sell, but I wasn't 100% sure I was going to do it. And then, the, the fact that you managed to approach at the right time with, with the perfect offer as well of, of exactly what I was looking for to sell. It was, that was one of the things that really made me think, okay, this is, this is definitely the time to do it. There, there is, because I mean, I think I never planned on selling in the early days. It was never a kind of, okay, I'm going to build this up and then sell it and move on to the next thing. I don't, I didn't really have a long-term goal, but I never really, selling was just never on my mind until it got to this point where suddenly I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And that, I think, was a, a big part of it. When people start businesses, they just don't realize don't realize that it's possible to actually have had enough and to want to do something else. You know, when you start something at, say, 25 or 30, you don't really think, oh, I'm going to be doing this in 20 or 30 years' time. So it's, it's good to be prepared to sell and ready. For, for the listeners, how the sale actually happened is that for the, this is the only time I've ever done this to, with anybody. I contacted Matt uh, and asked him if he was interested in selling and it just so happened he was like we didn't go through a broker the whole process was pretty smooth and this is just because I had been following his blog that he'd been openly revealing the numbers and the progress over the years and I saw that he had blogged about taking a full-time job and the numbers had leveled off and I kind of suspected that he was maybe wanting to be done with Sabre and it just so happened that it I was already already had a product in a similar field, but you know, not the same, different, and it just looked like the perfect opportunity for for obtaining this. And yeah, it turned out it was. The whole negotiations were very easy. We were on we had the same idea for the for the price and the approach right from day one. So it took a bit, maybe a bit longer to get everything done, but you know, life gets in the way. I think one of the things actually, another aspect of it was the fact it was you that I was selling to and your ideas because one thing i really didn't want to do was sell it to someone who would not keep it running or would just try and take the customers and shoehorn them into their own product or something like that it was more you know i I didn't want it to to be another one of those our amazing journey type stories where Uh 10 seconds after the sale it gets shut down with not much of a a thank you to anyone so i was was glad that 
when you approached, you said you wanted to keep it running and just um, you know, try and grow it, try and try and succeed where I failed miserably. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure is. you'll be able to. We'll see. I'll give it my best shot, and maybe I will, maybe I won't. But who can tell? Definitely, it's always nice when there's some fresh ideas coming into a, a project, and just the enthusiasm that comes from someone new. Maybe that will help. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. Okay, Matt, that's about all we have time for today. So I want to thank you again for coming on the show and being so open about your journey with Saber Feedback. It's rare to hear so much about the inside details of an acquisition like this. And I'm sure I speak for our listeners when I say that it has been helpful and insightful. Matt, where can people find you if they want to know more about what you're doing in the future? I have just set up blog. There's not much on there yet, but it's mattbearman.subtle.com. But it's that subtle where it's spelled S-V-B-T-L-E. So <laughs> I think it's uh, probably best to put a link to that. But I, I think I so. am going to put a, a um, eventually set up my own custom domain on it, which will be just blog.mattbearman.com. But that's not there yet. So it's got the post on there. The, the first thing I did was the detail of how the sale all went, including all the figures and everything. So that's something that good supported reading to people who are interested in how the, the sale went so in this interview today we haven't mentioned the sale price but you will find that <laughs> the very precise sale price right to the dollar in uh on the blog post okay we'll make sure we put that in the show notes so thanks again bye matt right, thanks very much see you later bye everybody that concludes this episode of bootstrapped you can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm.